So we've been exploring this world of the emotions. And last week, Scott spoke about the emotion of anger, which really was a powerful sermon. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it, where we learned that anger reveals, what do I really want? What am I passionate about? What stirs me up? And we learned how anger is actually designed by God to show us something and to lead us somewhere. But if we stuff down that emotion, what does it lead to? It leads to rage. It leads to fury. So today, we're going to be learning about another emotion, and that is the emotion of shame. Shame is something we all have felt at different times, but maybe you're not aware of it. Maybe you're not aware that that feeling that you have is shame. The experience of shame often happens when we feel incomplete or when we feel lacking. Shame is when you realize, I'm not measuring up. Have you felt that? Have you felt that maybe even this week? The thing is, though, that shame, like all of the emotions, is often deeply misunderstood. We experience shame, and what do we normally do? We stuff it down. We ignore it. We refuse to look at it and examine it. So what happens is we end up covering up, lying, pushing other people away, ultimately pushing God away, because we don't know what to do with this feeling of shame. And so today, we are going to be looking at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter describes the correct response to shame and what a healthy understanding of a sense of shame can bring. And so I'm going to ask my good friend Maddie to come up here and read the scripture passage for us. Can we welcome Maddie? Thanks, Maddie. First Peter 5, chapter, verse 6 through 7. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Awesome. Thank you. Let's pray as we go to jump into this passage. Father, we do ask that you would, by the power of the Spirit who is present with us right now, give us insight into our own souls, give us insight into this text that we would know what this emotion, shame, is saying to us, what it's doing in our lives. Jesus, we need your help. A lot of us come to this place, even this morning, feeling the weight of shame on us. And Jesus, we ask that today, you would do the work that only you can do of bringing our hearts to the surface, showing us what is going on, and showing us how your grace speaks to these areas of our lives. So we already can thank you in advance for what you're going to do this morning as we jump into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in this passage, which is probably a familiar passage, we see Peter is calling us to be humble. If you're like me, you've probably heard this passage referenced as why you shouldn't be arrogant, right? Or you're told you need to flee anxiety, which means you need to be humble. And that's true. Trusting in God is humility. But why does Peter say to land on humility? How do we become humble people? So let me ask you this. Do you know humble people? When you think humility, do you think of certain people? Or do you know people who are not humble? 
That might be easier to think of. People who refuse humility. This morning, I want to argue that you can only experience humility if you've rightly experienced healthy shame. You can only experience humility if you have experienced healthy shame. Because people who are humble have walked through that. People who are not humble often either live in shamelessness or that they live in a world of hiding. So this morning, I want us to start by thinking about this idea of healthy shame, the right place of healthy shame. You can think of this as point number one. Shame as an emotion is intended to do something in our lives. It is intended by God to function in our lives, to lead us somewhere. Because shame happens when you realize, I don't have all the answers. I am incomplete in myself. Healthy shame is becoming awakened to your own vulnerability. Having a consciousness that I'm incomplete. I don't have it all together. Think about a time in your life when you realized, you know, I'm really small. I definitely don't have it together. Time that you were aware, wow, I am just a little fish in a really, really big pond. For me, I personally wrestle with shame a lot. And what happens is I'm often afraid to take risks. I'm often afraid to speak out. I'm often afraid to try a new thing. I remember back when I started seminary in 2011, I thought, you know, I'm a pretty sharp guy. I didn't go to Bible college, but I, I've read the Bible. I've read some, you know, theology books. And I showed up to seminary, and it was very apparent. This guy doesn't know anything. This guy is the bottom of the class. And there was a sense of shame of, wow, I'm not as great as I thought I was. And I remember last year, at the start of 2020, I decided to join a gym. You know, I'd been working out for a while, and, you know, a little home gym action, some runs here and there. And I was like, okay, yeah, I got this. I'll just step in and just go with the flow. New guy alert. I was the bottom of the pack. I could not keep up with anybody at my gym class. There was a sense of shame of, okay, well, you need to just step away or say, no, I can step into this. So think about times when you've tried to learn a new skill or tried to step out in front of somebody and you felt this sense of, wow, I don't have it together. Learning a new skill, trying something new. But then think about the moments when you really felt shame, when you knew I failed big time. That sense of incompleteness. A really amazing Christian man of God who studied a lot of these emotions named Chip Dodd writes, healthy shame is an admission of the truth. Awakening vulnerability in your limitation, but also competency in your giftedness. The gain of healthy shame is that it helps you live in intimacy with yourself, others, and God through the development of humility. You see, we're intended to reach this sense of shame so that we can be led towards humility. Let's think through this a little bit more. Healthy shame is designed, is intended to lead you to humility. Look again at the first Peter passage. Peter says, humble yourself. Take on the posture of someone who knows that they don't know everything, that they don't have every gift, that they have lack in their life. The word humble literally means groundedness, 
of the earth. God has given us this sense of healthy shame to know that we are not complete in ourselves. Not to punish us, but to lead us somewhere. Think about this. If you are truly humble, you can say to God, God, you know that I don't know everything or have every gifting or have every personality trait, but that means, God, I can cast my anxiety on you because you care for me, because you made me this way. So if I can be humble, that means I'm okay with my lack. I can be okay with the areas that I know I am deficient because I was never intended to be whole all by myself. But only when I'm in relationship with others and with God. So this means, friends, that the gift of shame is that leads you to humility. And that has two massive implications. If you are someone who has allowed shame to lead you to humility... That means you can own your limitations. But it also means that you know your worth. You know your gifting. You know your capacity. So let's talk about this world first of owning and knowing our limitations because of humility. This gift of limitations, this gift of knowing that I am conscious of my incompleteness, Healthy shame says to me, Nate, you are limited. You have limits. You don't have it all together. You cannot be the best at everything. I think for some of us here, you might need to stop denying that truth. Because you think you need to be the best at everything or else. You can live like you don't have limits, but it will crush you and it will crush the ones that you love. This is because it is right. It is spiritually mature to say, I feel and know my lack, but I can actually embrace that. I can be okay with it. And friends, this is what the gospel of Jesus frees us to be able to say. This is why Peter is saying, you can humble yourself under God's mighty hand, under how God has created you to be. The good news of Jesus speaks directly to our need, our lack, our sin, our weakness, but simultaneously says, but wait a minute, but you're saved by grace. You were never saved because of your strength. You were never saved because of your capacity. You were actually rescued because of how weak you were. Healthy shame is designed to show us that we're dependent. It creates this sense of dependency in us. It makes us reach out for belonging and significance and intimacy with those who love us. It helps us seek connection based on what we need. So when you feel shame, when you feel that sense of, I am just human, I am limited, you can know, I am limited. But not just limited. I'm also extremely gifted. A healthy sense of shame leading you to humility will show you how confident you can be in your gifting and in your worth. Let's look at this. You can know I'm not just limited, I'm not just incomplete, but here's the areas that God has actually designed me to function in. Healthy shame leading to humility will help you see the ways that God has wired you, how he's gifted you, how he's given you intricate desires and giftings and longings, and that he delights in it when you live in those things. Just think about the passage. 
You can humble yourself, but why? Because he cares for you. Because God really loves you. And he has really wired you in specific ways so that you can know that. Think about just stories. Again, I didn't even think of a specific example for this because the stories really are endless. How many stories have you heard of someone who experiences huge failure, huge limitation, they hit this wall, and then from that place they actually figure out their purpose in life? They hit that sense of, I have just hit a wall. I either can run or I can say, wait a minute, it's here that I can figure out who I actually am, what I'm actually good at, and where I'm supposed to go in life. Janet and I were even talking about this the other day, thinking about, again, the, the illustrations could be endless. You could go Harry Potter, you could go Lord of the Rings. Even this week, we watched a movie called The Imitation Game about a man, British man, who grew up thinking that I'm just a fool, incomplete. I'm not good at talking with people. I'm not good with social skills. But he had one of the most, most gifted brains in the world. And when he swung the direction of saying, wait a minute, what if this is how I'm actually made to be? His brains literally allowed the Allies to win World War II. If he had refused to press into that, world history could have looked vastly different. But remember, so we're looking at, okay, here's where we're limited, but here's where we're gifted. This is what healthy shame pushes us to do. If, if you rightly feel shame, and you say, okay, let me press into this, but what happens if you don't press into it? What happens if that sense of shame starts to come and you cut it off? What, help it, what happens if, I think Scott used the analogy of the check engine light of your heart comes on, you're, okay, I'm feeling this emotion. Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it shame? What is it? Ignore it. What happens if you do that? This will lead to toxic shame. The impairment, the cutting off of shame is toxic shame. Chip Dodd again writes, rather than leading us to acknowledge our neediness, toxic shame entangles our hearts tightly binding them up, leaving us unable to experience full life because we can't experience our natural place. We believe we should hide who we are, and so we center our lives on doing that. In our impaired or suffocated shame, toxic shame, we learn that humility must mean humiliation. Failure means uselessness. Inability means worthlessness. Friends, toxic shame is a rejection of the image of God in you. The image of God that we carry in our hearts. Toxic shame denies us the capacity as feeling, as needing, as desiring, and even as hoping people. In toxic shame, we reject our hearts when they cry out because we think, well, this just means I'm defective. If I have this sense of longing or needing or hurting, it must just be because I'm defective. Toxic shame tells you you're just wrong. You're just broken. And you will never change. Often this impaired shame comes because of our past. It comes from things, from wounds in our past. We have learned to survive by hiding by rejecting and by minimizing our hearts. For some of us, it's because of really significant people in our lives who have actually poisoned us with toxic shame. 
those who are the most capable of teaching us self-rejection are almost always people that we love. So I think we should pause for a second. Think about people in your past who have hurt you. Think about things that have been said to make you feel, I am incomplete. I am defective. Who are the people who have made you feel that you are nothing? What happens is toxic shame comes in and it creates scripts in our brain. Think about like when you sign up to do a play, which I've never done, but I've heard stories about this. You're given your lines. You're told, here's who you are, here's what you say, here's the role that you carry. Our toxic shame also gives us a script that says, Here's your lines. Let's listen to some of these scripts and see if they resonate with you. Maybe back in school you got called fatty. And now your script tells you, I'm just disgusting. Maybe you were abused by a neighbor or a family member. Now toxic shame would give you a script that just says, I'm dirty. What if you cheated on your spouse? Toxic shame would say to you, I'm just a loser. What if you filed for bankruptcy? What if you failed in business? You'd have a script that would tell you, yes, that's who you are. You are a failure. What if you got cut from the team? What if you didn't get the promotion? Well, you're... Toxic shame would tell you, you're just a loser. You're nobody. What if you didn't finish college? What script is going through your head? Maybe you think, I'm just stupid. What if you lost the race? Didn't get the job, didn't get the thing that you thought, I just need to complete this so that. Toxic shame is now telling you, you're just pathetic. Lastly, what if your parents or significant people that you love are upset at you? Toxic shame would say to you, I'm unlovable. See, friends, each of us has toxic shame in our past, and it creates a script that tells you this is just who you are. And where does this impaired toxic shame lead? It leads to contempt. Toxic shame will lead you to contempt. If we do not learn to embrace humility, we will despise how we are made. You will always see yourself as less than, as despicable, as unlovable, as grotesque. You will despise how you are made. You will despise your longings. You will despise your feelings. This is where God just wrecked me this week, this next line when I read this and thought about this. In this self-contempt, you will either believe you are no good as you are, which means you have two options. You can hide or become someone else. In this contempt, you will believe that you are no good as you are, so you need to either hide or you need to become someone else. And I stand before you as someone who regularly is trying to reimagine how I want people to think about Nate. Nate's always trying to reimagine what type of image do I have to put up so that I look strong, so that my fears aren't as 
seen so that my anxiety isn't as present as I want to admit. So, how do you know if you're living in toxic shame? Let's think about this. Are you someone who's always hard on yourself? Do you always feel like you have to earn everything? Are you bad at receiving gifts and help from people? Friends, that's toxic shame. Maybe you feel like you always have a massive millstone around your neck. Maybe nothing is ever good enough. Nothing is ever clean enough. Nothing is ever good enough. Nothing is ever completed enough. You finish work, if you're like me, you finish work and think, I should have done more. I should have loved more people this week. I should have worked harder at my job. I should have got up another hour earlier. It's never enough. Let me ask you, who do you know who you feel like you need to become? If I was more like this person. My friends, if you're feeling this, this is exhausting. This endless pursuit of seeking to either hide or become someone else will leave you always feeling like you're running ragged, or for some of you, it may already be leading you to an early grave. The panic, the anxiety, the ruthless pace can only be sustained for so long. So this morning, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you longing to be rid of this self-contempt, this toxic shame? Do you even find yourself saying, is there any way out of this? Well, this morning, I want to remind you, and maybe you need to hear this for the first time in your life, that that toxic shame, that self-contempt, that self-loathing that you wish you could cover up, these are all the very things that the cross of Jesus speaks to. Maybe you've heard that Jesus died for my sin, but did you know that Jesus also died for your shame? Jesus died for your sin, but also for your shame. I want you to think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, he was naked. He didn't have the little loincloth that we see in paintings or in movies. No, because in the first century context of Rome, there was no reason to cover up a person as they were hung up to die on a cross because that was the point of the cross. Ultimate shame was the goal of crucifixion, not just the pain. I didn't have time to put this in my notes, so I brought this book up here with me. There's a fantastic book by a woman named Fleming Rutledge who writes about the shame and the God-forsakenness of crucifixion. I want you to hear some of what she writes. She says, if Jesus' death is construed merely as a death, even a painful, tortured death, the crucial point will be lost. Crucifixion was specifically designed to be the ultimate insult to personal dignity. The last word in humiliating and dehumanizing treatment, degradation, was the whole point. 
She quotes another scholar who writes, the victim was executed publicly, situated at a major crossroads or a well-trafficked artery, devoid of clothing, left to be eaten by birds and beasts. Victims of crucifixion were subject to optimal, unmitigated, vicious ridicule. Shame was the point of the cross. Another author says, the shame of the public nakedness was an integral part of crucifixion. To understand what the crucifixion means, we must look unblinkingly at its appalling qualities. In the context of our faith that says amazing grace, the cross would seem to be the ultimate disgraceful event, utterly lacking in anything appealing, winning, or redemptive. Lastly, shame sounds the depths of radical evil because its currency deals in debasement, degradation, and finally, dehumanization. Shaming another person is part of a process of declaring them worthless without even the dignity of a four-footed beast, more like an insect to be squashed. Crucifixion was a matter of execution that piled shame upon shame upon shame to show that the victim was not fit for human company at any level. So why did Jesus have to die a death of shame? Why did he need to experience that type of death? Why didn't Jesus just die in a different way? Why did he have to die with shame at the center of his death? Well, let's think about this. We as a church talk a lot about the story of God. We learn that as the story progresses, we look back and realize what God was doing. So think, where has there been another occurrence in the story of God of shame, of nakedness, of hiding in limitation? Choosing to hide and cover up. Friends, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God and knew, I am lacking, I am naked. Before this, the Bible says they were naked and not ashamed. But now, toxic shame has stepped in. And their nakedness was physical, but it was much more spiritual. Toxic shame drove them to hide and said, it is better to hide and cover up than to be humble and acknowledge lack. And so now, think about this, friends. From Adam and Eve to our very day, our world has been engulfed in toxic shame that tells us we must lie. We have to be afraid of limits. Our limits and lack disqualify us from love. Our lack means that we are worthless. And so then now, imagine Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, coming and saying, I'm going to position myself in front of the shame. I will not hide from it. When Jesus went to the cross, naked, exposed, bearing toxic shame, Satan the accuser was given full reign to pour onto Jesus all of the shame 
of the world. The shame of humanity was thrust on the exposed Son of God on the cross. And Jesus faced it head on. He didn't shirk from it. And what's amazing is that Jesus proved that toxic shame's power was bankrupt because it could not keep him down. Friends, think about this. Jesus on the cross was your representative. He stepped in the gap for your shame. So you have a representative in your shame. But think about this. Jesus as your representative, yes, he can definitely empathize with your feelings of lack, of limitations, of the exposure of toxic shame, but I, want you to miss, I don't want you to miss this. He actually defeats toxic shame. Check this out. On the cross, Jesus defeated toxic shame because you right now think, my limits, my weakness, make me unlovable. But the cross actually shows you and convinces you, no, you were actually worth the cost of the Son of God's life. So you are infinitely valuable. You have infinite worth. So the cross doesn't just show you you have a representative. It simultaneously says, shame is bankrupt in your life. Look at what you were worth. The cost of the life of God's Son was for you. For you specifically. For you in your shame. Jesus' death, his sin-bearing death, that shame, he took it for you. So you not only have a representative, you have someone who has forever proven your worth and your value because they put their life on the line for you. So Jesus breaks the power of shame by absorbing it, but he transfers that power to us to fight our toxic shame because we see how worth it we are. The cross shows you, you are loved. You are valued. You were worth that. You were worth the exposure of the cross. In the cross of Jesus, the greatest validation, affirmation that you could ever receive is yours individually. It simultaneously shows us, Jesus absorbed my shame and likewise affirms me in my worth my design, my uniqueness. Friends, look at the cross. Spend time studying it, reflecting it, considering it. You are worth the life of the Son of God. Not generally, like, oh, God loves us all. Yeah, he does, but he also loves you. You and your design, you and your uniqueness. Teens, kids, the Son of God gave his life for you. Think about that. Think about the things in your life that feel really important right now. All of those things pale because the Son of God gave his life for you. Moms, dads, adults, hear these words that your failures do not define you because Jesus' life now defines you. So I just want to ask us today, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Maybe you have rumblings of belief. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. I would encourage you to press into that. Explore those rumblings and saying, if he really did that for me, if that really is what that means about my shame, well, then what does that mean for me? Explore that. Press into that. I want us to conclude and wrap this up now. Because I want to remind us that in all of these emotions we've been studying in this series these last couple weeks, that it's really important that you take time to do business with this. Because you could just be sitting here, hearing these sermons, maybe jotting down, oh, Scott said a cool point there, Nate said a cool point there, yeah, I'll think about that later on. No. Friends, do business with this in your life. Put things in place so you can try to reflect. So you can try to journal. So you can take time to bring these things before God. Life is insane. You won't be able to actually process any of this just because you sat in a 45-minute sermon or heard a seven-part series and you're like, okay, great, well, I'm just going to move on now. No. Which of these things has really stood out to you? Take time to press into that. And I want us to think specifically about the reality as we go to close of spiritual warfare and our shame. Because I believe out of all of the emotions that shame is very uniquely poised to be an arena for spiritual warfare for us. Because in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was shame that was there with them. And when Jesus bore the weight of the sin of the world, it was shame that was thrust on him by Satan. So I think that we need to be mindful as a church that shame is a weapon of the enemy. Shame is a weapon of the enemy, and he's bringing it against you. I regularly still think about the fact when Scott, several weeks ago, talked about the fact that there is an intelligence in the evil in the world, that there is an intentionality that the evil one, Satan, is bringing against you in your life. And I think for some of us that there is a stronghold of shame in your life, a stronghold of toxic shame that is keeping you from recognizing your worth keeping you from recognizing your gifting, keeping you from recognizing the potential of how the Father has designed you. And in this stronghold where you feel locked and bound and chained, you regularly are living in a world that says, I'm not good enough, I don't have enough beauty, I don't have enough courage, I don't have enough strength. You fill in the blank. I don't know who these people are, but I deeply believe that the Spirit is wanting to speak to people this morning who are in a stronghold of shame, of toxic shame. Areas of your life where you feel unable to move, unable to speak, unable to see the truth of Jesus brought to that. And friends, I think Jesus wants to break these strongholds this morning. Believe that Jesus, by his spirit, is present with us in his word, by his people, and even in just a couple minutes as we're going to take communion which ties us directly to the broken body and blood of Jesus. So, if this is you today, you are someone in a stronghold of shame, do you think the Spirit is pressing you on that? First off, if you think He is, He probably is. 
want to affirm that for you. I would encourage you to not leave today without talking to someone about this, without bringing somebody into this in prayer with you. If you have friends around you that could pray for you on that, bring them into that. If you don't have friends around you, myself or Scott or any of our other leaders would love to pray for you so that you can begin to break free from this stronghold of toxic shame and see the truths of Jesus brought to bear that so you can do battle, so that you can combat the weapon of shame that is being brought against you.